Well, good evening, Neighborhood Church. Uh, my name is Louis Hubbox, lead pastor-elect. I am honored uh, that you're all here this evening. And those joining us online on the other side of TVs and computer screens around the world, it's our privilege that you've chosen to be with us uh, this, this day. And uh, I truly believe that God has a plan for each and every one of us. Uh, no one is here by accident. God has something for you tonight. Uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, as we look to your word, may it truly be alive in our lives. Not simply words that are written on a page, but truths that become embedded into the very being and DNA of who we are. Help us to be the walking, talking, breathing word of God. Help us to be mindful that we are the modern day, the present day presence of Jesus to a world around us, the hands and feet of Christ. And may we be mindful that as individuals and as the gathered corporate body, we are the temple of the Spirit of God on earth. Where the Spirit goes, things change. Darkness is dispelled with light. Brokenness turns to healing and hope. And Lord, may we be mindful that where we go, the Spirit goes. And attitudes and atmospheres and situations change when they encounter the Spirit of the living God. Amen? Amen. Well, we are in our last week of our series, Life in the Neighborhood, talking about who we already are and how we're going to live and function as people of the Neighborhood Church. Uh, week one, we talked about the fact that each and every one of us and the people seated next to us, those of us who know Jesus, are called by God. We talked about the fact that leaders are actually gifts to the church from Christ, and the job of the leaders, the job of pastors, is to equip the people, the saints, to do the work of the ministry, not to do the work of the ministry for the people. And then we wrapped up week one with the realization that we are going to live out the truth that every one of us, if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, every one of us are ministers of the gospel. Every one of us. God has called us to minister the gospel. Second week, we talked about the fact that we're different but united, right? We looked around and said, everybody, whoo, there are some different people out there. But we are different but united. And just like the, the body has got all these different parts, but somehow they come together and work for this incredible glory as we're united. When we're united, we can have a greater impact. And then last week, we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and talked about the reality of love and that Jesus actually commanded us to love one another. And that, we declared, is how the world will know we are followers of Jesus, by how we love one another, and that we would love like Jesus loves, and we'll live out the command of Christ. This week, we're going to talk about uh, the Spirit of God, and we're going to talk a bit about spiritual gifts. Um, highlighting last week, we read in Corinthians, Paul wrote, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brother and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 1, then jumping to verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So we're going to pause there for half a second. Who gets a manifestation of the Spirit? Huh. Each one. You're each one. And is it given so I can be like, whoo -hoo -hoo, look at me, jazz hands. No. Every one of us has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the, the common good, for the good of us as a joint body, that unity. 
And then Paul says in verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then in verse 14, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Ephesians uh, chapter 4 that we read in weeks 1 and 2 talks about us being this body of Christ. And then in Corinthians verses, or chapters 12, 13, and 14, again, we looked at last week, and, and again it talks about this idea that we're a body of Christ. And, and it talks about how we are to actually interact with each other, how we're to treat one another. That love passage isn't for only husbands and wives when they get married. That love passage is how we're to actually treat each other as followers of Jesus. And in that portion of scripture, it's given to us as instruction about how we're to worship. And at the end of chapter 14, Paul then says, therefore my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everyone or everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Life in the neighborhood. Uh, we're a part of a group called the uh, PAUC, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. We are a Pentecostal church. Uh, someone once said to me, it's so neat that you guys are Pentecostals. There's a day named after you. And the reality is, uh, I think May 19th this year is Pentecost Sunday, but, but the day isn't named after us. We're named after, the, we're named after the events, actually, on that day that happened some 2,000 years ago. The story, in a nutshell, is that on Good Friday, the Friday was Jesus was crucified, and he was crucified for our sins, and then on Easter Sunday, he's raised back to life, defeating death and sin and, and sickness. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus actually interacts with hundreds of people for, for 40 days. He goes around and, and hundreds of people see the, the nail-marked hands and, and he has interactions with, with all of these people in the resurrected state. He even uh, does a fish fry for some of them. And then on the 40th day, we have ascension, and he actually ascends to heaven in front of their eyes. And as he ascends to heaven, he says to the disciples, wait, just, just, just wait, just, just wait. Wait for the promise, the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. Just wait. Who here hates to wait? I'm going to put up two hands. Like, when I, when I am driving through the city, I'm always figuring out which is the shortest line, right? I lose almost every time, but it doesn't, it, I never give up. Because I just hate to, I hate to wait. I think for most of us, uh, impatience is like core to our human nature. But waiting is sometimes all that we can do. And that's what Jesus tells the disciples to do. He tells them to Wait. He ascends into heaven and he says, wait, and that's what they did. They waited in the upper room for, for 10 days. And while they waited, they, they anticipated the supernatural. They'd seen Jesus perform miracles for years. They'd seen the, the death and then they'd seen the resurrection and they'd encountered the, the risen Christ and now he was gone and they were just waiting, anticipating, praying, a little bewildered, confused, nervous, overwhelmed. Oh Lord, I'm in, I, 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 I don't have what it takes. I, I feel a little inadequate for, for whatever the future is about to hold. They're just 
They're just waiting, anticipating, praying, and I believe desperate for a supernatural touch. I can only imagine that they just stood there speechless on Ascension Day. When Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, but, but wait, wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were there watching. And then they could no longer see him. Just wait. Just wait. This is where Acts chapter 2 opens with the disciples waiting in the upper room. Do you think they had any idea about what was about to happen? Did you think they had any clue of how God was going to act and direct them? Because the book hadn't been written yet, right? They weren't just sitting around the upper room going, it's almost chapter two. They just like turn one more page. It's going to be awesome. They weren't like day one, day two, day three, day four. It's day nine. Tomorrow's day 10. Tomorrow's day 10. Do you know what happens on day 10? They didn't know any of that yet, right? They were just waiting. Day one, day two, day three, day five, six, seven. Waiting. huddled in the upper room with doors locked, whispering prayers. Lord, we're in way over our heads. Lord, we've got all these questions and we don't have, we don't have answers. L- Lord, we're waiting, but we don't know what to do. Lord, what you've commanded us is just, is just way too hard on our own. Has anybody else ever prayed any prayers like that? L- Lord, I'm I'm waiting days, maybe weeks, maybe I'm, I'm waiting and what, what you're asking me just seems it's just way too hard. I've got all these questions and no answers, but God, I'm, I'm waiting. Lord, I'm waiting. I, I can't do it on my own. So we need the presence and the power of the Spirit of God leading, guiding, and empowering us. 120 disciples jammed in the upper room waiting. Deeply desperate, deeply dependent, deeply in need of a supernatural touch. And as they're waiting in the upper room, there's a festival going on down in the street, a festival of Pentecost, where where Jews from around the the world had come to, to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. Pentecost in 33 AD was primarily a, a feast of a celebration of celebrating the first fruits. It eventually turned into a bit of the, the reminding or remembering of the law being given to the people through, through Moses. But 120 followers of Jesus in the upper room waiting. And then all of a sudden we see, all of a sudden it says, suddenly, if I press the right button, it works. Here we go. They're waiting, and all of a sudden, suddenly, suddenly, just out of no, as they were waiting, just desperate, pleading, praying to God, suddenly, suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were 
filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Suddenly, out of nowhere, suddenly the one that Jesus promised shows up, the very presence of God. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit. Friends, brothers and sisters, I pray you know that the Holy Spirit isn't some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit isn't the junior partner in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, is God. So with wind and, and fire, the Holy Spirit ignites within these disciples who are, who are desperate, hope, and power, and life. And all of a sudden, the words of Jesus come alive, and you will be baptized with the Spirit, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And all of a sudden, they were baptized, indwelt, empowered, Pentecost. A lot of things happened at Pentecost. There's a big shift between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples were overwhelmed. In Acts chapter 2, they were overwhelming. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples were hiding in this small room, scared to death. In Acts chapter 2, they are boldly declaring Jesus, regardless of the consequence to their very own lives, that they couldn't keep this message of Jesus inside. They had an encounter with the Spirit of the living God. In Acts chapter 1, I am sure they felt like failures. Like, like we, we hitched our wagon to Jesus and, and he was going to take over the Roman Empire and then he died and all of a sudden he was back and then he left again. Ah! But Acts chapter 2, in the power of the Spirit of God, they're proclaiming the message of Jesus and transforming people's eternal destinations. What's the big deal about Pentecost? It's not that there's a day named after us. It's the fact that on the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit baptized, indwelt the disciples of Jesus, and that changed everything. The Holy Spirit enters the equation. He came near. He indwelt believers. He empowered believers followers of Jesus. Things change in our life when the Holy Spirit becomes very real. I, I pray most times when I preach that we would understand that we're the temple of the Spirit of God and that where the Spirit goes, things can't stay the same. Like no person can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and be the same afterwards. Lots of things happen when the Holy Spirit indwells us, fills us, and baptizes us. Life in the neighborhood. Who we already are and how we're going to live and function as the people of the neighborhood church. Tonight, it's not going to be an in-depth message on the gifts of the Spirit. We'll, we'll deal with that, and we'll talk about that in future series in the, down the road. But tonight is going to be this kind of overview about who we already are, and how we're going to continue to live and function as people of the neighborhood church. So remembering those words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, there's all different kinds of gifts, but one in the same spirit, right? We're different but united. God gives each of us a different gift. They're different, 
It's okay if your gift is different than mine. It's all coming from the same spirit. Then remember, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So sometimes we look at others and think they're not worthy of God's gifts. And sometimes we look at others and think, oh, they're special. They've, got, they've been chosen to be gifted by, from God, but I'm not. Are either of those statements true? Each and every one of us. There's been a manifest, manifestation of the Spirit given for the, the common good. Not to say, look at me how incredible I am, but to say, how can I serve in my part as a minister of the gospel, as a part of this family for the common good? Then Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Desire the gifts that God wants to give you. Now maybe some of us are too old to like, you know, get really excited on, on Christmas. Some of us are maybe at that stage in life where we essentially just buy our own gifts anyways. But hopefully we can all remember back to the days when we were little kids and you could barely sleep because you knew tomorrow was Christmas. Oh, tomorrow. We're going to eagerly desire. It's okay to eagerly desire the gifts of God that he wants for you. In that portion of uh, Corinthians, Paul says it, I think, three times. Eagerly desire, eagerly desire, eagerly desire. But we don't eagerly desire it so you can look at me, jazz hands. We, we eagerly desire for the common good because we are a part of a family. We're part of a body, and we're going to bring our body part, our uniqueness, our differentness, and we're going to bring it, and we're going to connect it with the family of God, and we're going to use the Spirit, and the, the gifts of the Spirit has given us to be a blessing for the common good. And then he ends chapter 14 with those words, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So life in the neighborhood, a couple of thoughts. We at the neighborhood are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news. In Acts chapter 2, when the suddenly occurs... What was the purpose of the suddenly? So they could have a Pentecostal dance party? Suddenly, they were empowered by the Spirit of God, and then they went out onto the streets, and they started sharing the good. They couldn't keep the news of Jesus to themselves. They knew that there was good news that they'd experienced in their lives, and they just couldn't keep quiet about it. They were empowered by the Spirit of God to share good news. Our world is desperate for good news. Oh, my goodness. Neighborhood church, who we are and who we're going to be and how we're going to live and function, we're going to live and function under the reality that we are empowered by the Spirit of God to share good news with people in a dying and hurting and broken and dark world. We're going to share that there's the ability to find forgiveness and healing and hope and eternal life. There's good news. I get you're caught up in the muck and mire of where you're at, but you don't have to be there anymore. You can find freedom. There's good news. God is real and he wants to know you and interact with you in a personal way. He wants you to be a son. He wants you to be a daughter. There's good news. Empowered by the Spirit of God to share good news. Life in the neighborhood. We are going to be directed by the Holy Spirit to take the message and love of Jesus to the streets. 
120 disciples had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, baptized, tongues of fire, they're speaking in unknown languages. And you know what they did? They just didn't stay in that room and talk to each other. They went where? They went to the street below. And they shared the message of Jesus and the message of love. They took the message of Jesus to the streets. And whether it's in a supernatural ability to speak in foreign or unknown languages, we here at the Neighborhood Church are going to be directed by the Holy Spirit to take the message and love of Jesus to the streets and share the message of Jesus in a language that the people can understand. When we send missionaries overseas, we've actually got missionaries right now that we're supporting. They go overseas. The first thing they do is language training. You know why? Because in order to reach a community or a culture that speaks a different language, they need to be able to speak that language. First thing they do. Sometimes I think those of us in the North American church need a little language training. We need to be able to figure out how to share our faith without watering down anything in a way that our neighbors who know nothing about Jesus and don't speak in Christianese can fully understand the, the, the good news of the gospel. Maybe God's going to help us supernaturally and maybe we're just going to take time to think through how we can share the message of Jesus and the love of Jesus with those who don't have a church to Christian background. We're not going to water anything down, but we're going to be very clear in letting them know the message of Jesus Christ. As the disciples went onto the streets to share the message and love of Jesus, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Power, power, wonder-working power. Baptized in the Spirit, obedient to the, the call of Jesus, Lives were changed, eternal destinations were altered, directed by the Holy Spirit to take the message of love and the message of Jesus to the streets. But the story doesn't actually end in Acts chapter 2. The message continues on into Acts chapter 3. And the kind of final thought for tonight and the final thought as we wrap up this series, life in the neighborhood, we are going to offer the help and power of the Holy Spirit to others. The Holy Spirit was given to us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we're going to engage with people in this broken and hurting world. And we're going to offer. We're going to offer them what we have, what we've experienced. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. While he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. I'll give you what I got. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood to his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. 
They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Acts chapter 1, the disciples are waiting, praying, unsure, feeling incompetent, overwhelmed. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God, the one that they were waiting for, comes and baptizes them with power, indwells them, and they can't keep the good news to themselves. They have to go to the streets to tell the world of Jesus Christ to tell the world of what they've encountered and the church is birthed. And then Acts chapter 3. The spirit of the living God that dwells in them. Silver and gold I don't have, but let me give you what I've got. May you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, through the power of the spirit of God. Offering the power and the help that comes only from the living God through the Spirit of God. Who we are, neighborhood church, we're going to be a people that offer the help and power of the Spirit to others. So where are you at today? Maybe you're here and you're not a believer at all. You've never heard this, you don't believe it, you think this guy's crazy. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. I, be- I believe Jesus is who he said he is, but, but I've never had an encounter with the Spirit. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That, that sounds a little out of my, my comfort zone. Maybe you're here and you just don't know what maybe the baptism of the Spirit is or you've never encountered the Spirit in that kind of overwhelming way. Maybe you're here and you just need a physical touch, an emotional, mental touch from God. You need a help, a move of God in your life in some way that is just beyond yourself. You need the living God to touch you where you're at. Wherever you're at, I want to encourage you with this. I want to encourage you to be open. Just be open. Be open to having someone pray for you. Be open. Be open to having an encounter with the Holy Spirit be open. Be open to being baptized in the Spirit. Be open to receive healing. Be open to to receive a spiritual gift from God. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To everyone. Just be open. Be open as a minister of the gospel to pray for somebody else. Be open. Be open to offer the help and power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us as believers to others. If I can uh, call the worship band to come on up at this time. Our our family uh, goes mountain skiing. We try to go at least once a year. We went uh, right at the beginning of this year. And uh, is is there anybody else who does skiing here? Man, we're solo. Okay. Oh, there we go. Uh, For those of you who ski, you'll know this uh, to be true. There's two types of skiers. Those who can and those who can't. And it's really easy to tell the difference when you're on the mountain. When you're on the mountain, it becomes blatantly obvious to tell those two between those who can and those who can't. But when you're in the lodge, 
sipping hot chocolate sitting around by the fire, it's not so easy to tell the difference because everybody can get dressed up in their nice ski clothes and everybody can, even, even just uh, spectators who have no intent of ever skiing, like everybody just looks the same. And actually, if you can't ski and maybe don't want to embarrass yourselves in front of your friends, you can just buy some nice ski equipment, get dressed up and hang out in the lodge all day long. You can pretend to be a skier and dress like one and hang around the lodge. And chances are most people won't ever realize that you're not a skier. The problem is if you're ever going to be a skier, at some point you actually have to get onto the mountain, get up to that edge and and go over the edge. You got to get this place where you feel radically out of control. And you got to say, okay, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to attempt this. I, I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to I'm going to attempt. I'm going to take step one. You'll never be a skier if you just spend all your time living in the lodge, sipping hot chocolate by the fire. You become a skier by getting out on the hill, getting up to that edge, and, and taking a, a plunge. Life in the neighborhood. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news. We don't need power to live life kicked back in a lazy boy. You need the power of the Spirit of God to go out into the world to share the good news with those that God has placed around us. Life in the neighborhood. We are directed by the Holy Spirit to take the message and love of Jesus into the streets. God has intentionally placed you within arm's reach of people who need the message and love of Jesus. He's directed you because if you know Jesus, you're a minister of the gospel. And he's put them in your path for a plan and a purpose. And life in the neighborhood. We're going to offer the help and power of the Holy Spirit to others. There's a lot of things in our world that I, I don't have the solution to. There's a lot of things going on in people's lives as I talk with them that just over, almost could overwhelm you. But I know it's not overwhelming for God. And we're going to offer. We're going to share. We're going to say, can I, can I pray with you and ask the, the living God, the Holy Spirit, can I, can I declare that Jesus of Nazareth would, would enter into your life situation and you would encounter what only God can do for you in your life? When we're all sitting in the church singing and you know, maybe amening the preacher. In those moments, we can all look like obedient disciples. But it's how we act Monday through Saturday. Are we sharing the good news of the gospel? Are we taking the message of Jesus and his love into the streets? Are we offering the people that we come into contact with? Are we offering to, to lift them before God, to, to allow the Spirit of God to enter their situation? Because it's in those moments I think we truly are obedient disciples. It's in those moments I think that define us as obedient disciples. And I pray that you'll join with me. That we, the people of the neighborhood church, that this would be who we are. 
Let's bow together. Father, we're so thankful that we know you, that we're forgiven, that we know that your spirit is alive and and moving in people's lives today and that you're alive and, and you can move in our lives. And for those of us here who maybe don't know you as Lord and Savior, Jesus, I just pray you'd reveal yourself and and tangibly call out and touch and speak to each individual. And for those of us who maybe believe you're Lord, you're Savior, you're the Son of God, but we've not had an encounter with your Spirit, Lord, be, I pray that we'd be open today. Just open to your moving in our lives, open to encountering you in greater ways, open to experiencing your filling our lives, your, your baptizing us. And Lord, I pray that we, the people of the neighborhood, would understand that we're empowered by your spirit, not for our own purposes, our own glories, but to take the good news of the gospel and bring good news into a world that desperately needs it. That we would take the message of Jesus and the message of his love into the streets and into our neighborhoods and into our backyards and into our workplaces. And, and when we encounter people who are stuck in the muck and mire of life, we, like those apostles, would offer what we do have. May the spirit of the living God enter your situation, my friend, and may you find healing and hope. May may you be able to get up out of that place that you're stuck and, and move into a freedom that can only be found in the living God. May these be truths of who we are as the people of the neighborhood church, we pray. Amen?